We are talking about the parables of Jesus Christ. Last week we started with uh, the parable regarding the uh, sower sowing seed. And we talked about the idea that it is part of what are known as the kingdom parables. In Matthew chapter 13, there are eight kingdom parables. Um, these parables were told at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Because there was a lot of debate about what the kingdom was like. In their minds, they had this idea of a uh, physical kingdom uh, similar to a Roman kingdom. And so Jesus is trying to explain to them, no, this kingdom is the kingdom of heaven, and it's much, much different. And so as Jesus tried to describe it, he uses he talks about the people who come into that kingdom and who are part of that kingdom. And so the first parable... What he does is he uses that illustration, and we talked about it, where there was a sower who went to sow seed, and the seed fell on four different types of ground. And it was the last ground that uh, was the good soil and produced 30, 60, 100-fold. And he said, ultimately, those are the people that are people that are part of the kingdom. He, we are fortunate because in that parable, Jesus goes and gives us an explanation of it. The parable we're going to look at this morning is also about sowing. And in this parable, we're fortunate too because Jesus explains to it, uh, to us, the meaning of it as well. But it's very different from the first parable. So we're going to look at it in uh, Matthew chapter 13, and here's what it says. Uh, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in this field. While everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the weeds sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? And when did the weed, where did the weeds come from? And the enemy did this, he said. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because you are pulling, while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And then Jesus goes on and talks a little bit more, and then he leaves the area where he's doing this teaching, and he gets into a house, and the disciples ask him about this parable, and here's what it says. Then he left the crowd, he went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all those who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus explains this parable now. So as as, as we go through it, we're going to kind of try to figure some stuff out and put it into some application for us this week. But a couple of things to notice. Notice the contrast between the parable we talked about last week and this parable. And the parable we talked about last week, 
um, there was one sower. In this parable, there are two. In the parable that we talked about last week, there's one seed. In this parable, there are two. In the parable we talked about last week, there are four types of ground. In this parable, there's one. So there are a lot of contrasts between these two stories that Jesus tells with very different implications, with very different ideas. Jesus makes it explicit, the field is the world. Um, That's what he says, the field is the world. There are people who, when they read this passage, want to make this about the church. This isn't about the church. Um, you know, and they say, well, you know, there are people in the church who are, act like Christians, but they're not. And, 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 and we're talking, no, no, no. He talks about the field being the world. And the reason it's the world is because he talks about the end of the age, the good seed going into the barn, i.e. heaven, okay, and the, uh, the other seed being burned and cast away. So we're talking about the world. So when we talk about the one field that's there, what it says is the one, the one sower sows good seed into that world. That would be Jesus. And the last parable, the seed was the word of God. In this parable, it's Christians. It's his children. And what he says is the world out there, the world that's out there, that's the field. And God comes and reaches down and he puts Christians all throughout the field. That's what he's planting in the world, Christians everywhere. That's what he's talking about. That's the good seed. But notice Satan also comes in, and in the first parable, Satan snatched the seed away. In this parable, what Satan does is he goes and he infiltrates. Satan starts planting his people as well. And so you have now in this field both growing up. And you're going, okay, so what you're saying is in the world, there are Christians and there are non-Christians, but there's also, there's also non-Christians that look like Christians. Um, now, we don't understand this because we didn't live in Bible times. But let me give you a quick biology lesson here, okay? Uh, this is what a wheat field would have looked like growing up. Tell me where the weeds are. Tell me what's wheat, tell me what, what's weed. You don't know, do you? If you could look at it closer, here's the difference. The wheat's on the one side, the tares, or it's called darnel in this culture, um, is on the other side. That's what it looks like. A little, you can tell it, but it's a little harder, isn't it? Here's what it looks like at harvest. That's a little bit easier to tell, isn't it? Um, one's got a little bit bigger grain, one's got a little bit smaller grain. Can't really see it in this picture, but Darnell's actually more gray than white. Um, and you can't see it in, in that. But now today, when they go through fields, uh, this basically gets weeded out pretty close with the, the sieves that they put in it and, and what seed can fall through it and what seed can't. Um, the problem with Darnell, um, this is a picture of, uh, of how they would harvest it and, and cut it all up and, and, and but and bundle it all up. Um, one of the issues here with the Darnell is this. The Darnell was, was a poisonous kind of weed. Uh, there are instances where people would actually go in and purposely plant this in a field to ruin the field because um, it, was a, it was a field, it was a, a seed that if it was eaten or consumed, uh, you, could, you, you would slur your speech, uh, you would become dizzy. It was, it was almost like a, hallucinogenic kind of response. 
Uh, and then, of course, extreme cases, if you consumed a lot of it, it could actually kill you. Um, in fact, the Romans had a law that you couldn't do this. You couldn't do this to somebody's field. It was that kind of a level of, uh, of thing. But it says here that when they came to the owner and they said, hey, we noticed you got a bunch of weeds in your field. What did, how did that happen? Did you, like, get the wrong seed? And the owner says, no, 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 this was all about the enemy. And he tells us, the enemy is Satan. When did Satan sow this, by the way? What? At night. And what were, the, what, were the, what were the people in charge of the field doing? They were sleeping. There's nothing wrong with sleeping. You have to sleep. But he brings out, there's a point here which says, guess when Satan really is at work? Most of the time when we're not aware of it. You know, I mean, it's not saying don't ever sleep. Watch your field 24-7. That's not what it's saying. It's saying the idea is that when you and I least expect it, that's when Satan jumps in and starts to work. And you need to understand that. Because the Bible talks about, First uh, Peter talks about the idea that Satan is a roaring lion. You know, if you think that Satan has gone to sleep and is not working in your life, you're kidding yourself. You know, I'm convinced he sneaks into this building every Sunday and he jumps into that sound stuff. You know, and we have prayed over it and everything else you can think of. But, I mean, it's at work. I mean, he's at work. He's, he's constantly at work. And I'm not saying the guy's back there are sleeping either. But, um, you know, that, this is the idea, okay? This is the idea. And uh, it's interesting because when they come to him and they say, look, how did this happen? Did you as a sower mess up? He says, oh, no, 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 no. I sowed good seed. But the enemy came along and sowed something that looks very similar and put it in the middle of it to contaminate what we have. And right away, they're like, okay, okay, we'll go take care of it. We're going to go pull it up. And the, and the owner goes, whoa, 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 stop. It's not your job to pull it up. Because if you go out there and try pulling it up, you're going to pull up good stuff too. We're going to wait until harvest. The harvesters know how best to sort it out. It will be easier to distinguish at harvest what's real and what's fake. What's good seed and what's bad seed. What's wheat and what's darnell. So we're going to wait until harvest. And then at harvest, we're going to sort it all out. And he says, harvest is the end of the age. Angels are going to do that job. They're going to sort out the good seed from bad seed. And they're going to take the bad seed, and he draws a parallel an analogy now, and he says they're going to burn it. And it's interesting because when Jesus interprets the parable, he adds this idea. They're not just going to burn it, but they're going to burn it in a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a reference to hell. This is a ref- That's why I say this isn't about the church. This is about, this is about the end of the age. Um, it talks about in the book of Revelation. You go, well, you know what? I just don't believe in a hell. I can't believe that, that, that there's such a thing. Let me tell you something. If you're going to believe in a heaven, then there has to be something else. You go, well, you know, I just think that God loves everybody, and when we die, we're all going to go to heaven. Then how is heaven any different than here? If everybody's there... 
You see, this is what Jesus is trying to teach them. There's coming a time in which God's going to divide out who's real and who's not. The real wheat, it's going into the barn, i.e. heaven, i.e. with God for all of eternity. The fake stuff, the darnell, the weeds, they're going to be cast aside into this state, specifically the fire, i.e. hell. And so you need to understand that this is what Jesus is teaching because here's the issue. In the mind of these people who are listening to this thing, Jesus is there, the kingdom's coming next. And Jesus is trying to explain, no, 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 no. I'm going to wait until the end of the age. I'm going to wait until the time comes, and then there's going to be a final judgment of separating who's who. And so that's what this parable is about. Because the disciples, their idea is, and, and depending on which commentators you read, there's some idea here that in the Jewish mindset, the idea was, let's get rid of all the Samaritans. Let's sort them and weed them all out now. And Jesus, and Jesus was trying to explain to them, no, no, no. The kingdom of God isn't about Jews and Samaritans. The kingdom of God is about people who are following me, 30, 60, 100-fold, and people who aren't. People who may act like, who may look like wheat. This is the analogy of, take it back last week, the analogy of some that sprung up and the weeds choked them out, some the heat choked them out, some of them the deceitfulness and cares of this world choked them out. They looked the same for a while, but then it didn't make it in the end. And so this is the, the, the parable that Jesus, um, Jesus basically pulls back to. So let's uh, pull some things. You go, okay, uh, how does this affect me? All right, so let's talk about us this week. Uh, let's talk about some application part of it. Um, here's the first thing. You have to understand that as long as you're on this planet, until Jesus settles it all in the end, there's going to be wheat and there's going to be tares. There's going to be people who are real, genuine followers of God. And there's going to be people who look really, really close, but it's not genuine. It's not real. They're counterfeits. Um, they may mean well, and they may be great people, but there's nothing real there. There's no real personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's Darnell. It's terrors. Um, And you have to realize that as long as we're in this world, there are going to be people who hurt the kingdom of God but look like they're part of the kingdom of God. You know, I can't tell you the number of times I get in discussion with people and they're like, well, you know, I used to go to church and I used to do this thing, but this pastor or that person in the church or this person did this to me and da-da-da-da. And it's like, wait a minute. You don't know that they were real. Why are you blaming the entire church or, or, or God or Jesus because of the actions of people who say they're servants? You know, you... Who are you following? Are you following people or are you following Jesus? Because the bottom line is, Jesus hasn't let you down, disappointed you, bailed on you. And sometimes what happens is we use it as a cop-out to go, well, those people hurt me. Well, time out. Wheat and tares are in the world. You don't know that that person wasn't a tear. You don't know that they weren't Darnell. You don't know that they weren't a weed. 
And it's not your job or my job to figure out who's weed and who's there, who's wheat. My job is to figure out me, period. You know, last week, I know, you know, when we were talking about this idea of 30, 60, 100 fold, I know, you know, one of the things that happens, and, and this is going to be dangerous in this whole series, so let me lay this groundwork out for you. Sometimes it's easy when we talk about believers and non-believers or real Christians and, 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 and weed Christians. Sometimes it's easy when we're having those discussions to go, well, you know, um, I've always thought that my blank, you know, my grandfather or my grandmother or whatever else was a Christian. But now, now based on what you're saying, maybe they want to stop. This is not about anybody but you. Period. This is about whether or not, like last week, this isn't about somebody else, whether or not they're a 30, 60, or 100-fold good ground Christian. This is about whether you are and whether I am. This isn't about, oh, well, maybe my, my, my in-laws were wheat or were, were, were Darnell. No, 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 no. This is about you. This is about me. The only person in this building that I am assured of 100% going to heaven is me. That's it. Well, what about your wife? I know what my wife says. My wife and I have had that discussion. I believe that my wife is a Christian most of the time. All right, no. Um, all of the time. All of the time. All right. I mean, I believe that my wife is a Christian, but the reality of it is I don't know. That's between her and God. All I know about is me. When I do a funeral, all I can tell you is what that person has said. I don't know for sure about them. Because I only know for sure about me. That's when we talk about these parables. You have to understand, that's the implication of all of them. Is we have to make it, we have to look at our lives. That's why Jesus tells us, because he wants us to make sure, like last week, he wants you to make sure you're a good ground person. Like this week, you're a wheat person. Well, you know, I don't know. You know, what about my spouse? It's not, it's about you. Well, what about my parents or grandparents or my uncles or nephews or my neighbors? It's about you, where you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's, that's so important to understand. One of the things that you see in this story is this idea that it's not our job to judge. God will do that one day. And the angels will do that. That is not my responsibility to decide whether or not you check all the boxes. I can go by what you say. But ultimately, only you know about you. Second idea is this. Satan is always at work. I think we minimize this a lot. But Satan is always at work. And if you don't know this, you should know this. Satan has three jobs every day in your life. He wants to steal rob you of things that God would have for you. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy things in your life. Steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants to do. Every day. Every day. Teenagers, figure this out. Satan does not have your best interest at heart. And one of the great things about Satan is that he is a great counterfeiter. 
He will take anything that God has and he will have a counterfeit and that counterfeit looks like the genuine thing, but it's not. It's fake and it's phony and you will learn that it doesn't pass the test of time when you get down the road because it's, it, it's always new and shiny at the beginning and he never shows you the true price tag. You find the price tag out down the line. And what you need, that's why I say the best thing you can do is go to the Word of God for each of us. We can go to the Word of God and say, okay, God, what do you say about how I should handle my finances? What do you say about family? What do you say about my job? What do you say about my work ethic? What do you say about, and, and I take those biblical principles and I implement them into my life. Because you need to know, Satan will come alongside and he will put a counterfeit right next to it. God says, let me talk to you about love. Love is all about intimacy. Closeness, connectedness, togetherness. Satan goes, eh, it's really about sex. What? Let's put him, he's, he's got his counterfeit. You know, let me tell you about, God says, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to learn patience, and I want you to learn to wait, and I want you to learn to save. Satan comes along and says, you know what? You don't need to save money. You have it right now. Go spend it. In fact, if you can't afford it, get a credit. And the next thing you know, you find people who have, who have gotten into this, because we've been there, but you've gotten into this debt trap. And the next thing you know, you're, you're financially upside down, and you're figuring out, how in the world did I get here? Because you were, you were never taught the biblical principles of patience and waiting. Instead, you adopted Satan's philosophy, his counterfeit idea, which says, again, my favorite, one of my favorite restaurants, you deserve a break. Go get it now. I mean, again, think through it biblically. You know what you deserve? It ain't a break. I don't want what I deserve. I want God's grace and mercy and kindness and compassion. That's what I want. So it's important for you to understand, Satan is a live word. And, and listen, in every area, and sometimes you need to just step back and ask yourself, okay, is what we're going through right now in our family, is this really us or is this Satan at work? Is what I'm dealing with in my job right now, is it really my job or is this Satan at work? What, what's Satan's contribution to what it is I'm struggling with right now, you know? That's kind of like this whole sound video thing, you know. I started to realize, look, you know what? And again, I don't want to get too crazy with this, but, you know, Prince of the Power of the Air. You know? And I, I, because I've got to realize there's an element at which Satan doesn't want what we say to leave here. You know? Why? Because he's at work. Is always at work. Third idea is this. Um, God is incredibly patient. Now that frustrates us. Because if you're like me, and you look at what's going on in the world, you just want God to take care of it. You know, God, all those people that are thumbing their nose at you, that are saying they want you out of the school, let's just wipe them out. Well, he's so much better. 
No, this isn't the time you pull up the Darnell when the, when the wheat's still there. But there's coming a day in which God will sort it all out. And righteousness will be honored and unrighteousness will be punished. And, you know, unfortunately, we're in a culture which has this idea of hell that we make it a comical kind of thing. Well, you know, I'm not, hell doesn't bother me that much because all my friends are going to be there. Here's what you need to understand about hell. Hell is a place that is real. Hell is a place that God makes sure there is nothing enjoyable there. You see, ultimately, enjoyment, fulfillment, those kinds of things, and I don't want to get too deep into this, but they're, 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 they're in our character as being image bearers or created in the image of God. You say, well, I can't believe that God would do that. No, no, here's what you need to understand about hell, because this is so misunderstood in our culture. Satan rebelled against God, and he took a third of the angelic host with him. When he did that, God had to create a place for people who didn't want God. So he created hell for Satan and his angels. The Bible's clear about that. He also realized that because of man's sin, man rejected God. So there's no other option if God is just and holy and righteous. So out of his justice and holiness and righteousness, God said, you know what? I love people. I want them to be with me for all eternity. I created them in my image. I created them for fellowship. So I will make a way so they can be with me forever. So he comes to this earth. That's the, the Christmas story. He lives 33 and a third years sinlessly without sin, and he voluntarily goes to a cross and dies on the cross so that he can pay for your sin and my sin. Then he comes to us and offers us a free gift, salvation. You want to be with me? All you got to do is say you want to be with me and become part of my kingdom. It's got to be real. It's got to be in your heart. I mean, it's got to be a genuine kind of thing, not just a quick little statement and then go on and live your life. You really want to be a part of me, you really want to be part of my kingdom, then, then it needs to be real. But if you want to follow me and you want to be part of the kingdom, I'll take anybody. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your stuff is. The cross took care of all of it. The question now is, what do I do with those people who spend their entire life saying no to me every single time their heart beats and every breath that they take? What do I do? Do I look at them and say, you know, I know you rejected me for your 70 years on earth, but that's okay. Come on in. No, because then for everybody who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, for Jesus going to the cross, it was all a sham. If there's any other way, he would have done that. So he comes to this earth and offers us salvation. He says, I'll give it free to anybody who wants it. All you got to do is say yes. And every time your heart beats and every breath that you take is an opportunity for you to say yes to Jesus Christ. And if you go your entire life and keep saying, no, 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 I'll wait, I'll do it later, I don't want that, I can earn my way there, I can do this, I can do that, and you spend your entire life doing that, and you stand before God on judgment day, and you think he's going to give you a pass, he's not. You just say, you get to spend eternity with all of the other people 
and Satan and his angels that have rejected me and didn't want anything to do with me. And if you don't know for sure whether or not you're a Christian, that ought to scare you to death. Because I'm telling you right now, the one I, I think probably... I think one of the worst things about hell, you know, everybody talks about lake of fire and, and flaming and all of that kind of stuff, and they, they talk about all that kind of... Here, here's the, here's the, the most basic idea you can get with it. God is not there. There is no semblance of God whatsoever. And there is no hope. You know, the only reason people are even being able to survive this whole pandemic thing is because they think that there's hope that some point we'll get back to normal. What if we took that all away? What if we said to all of the world, you know what? This pandemic is going to wipe us all out, and it's never, ever going to get better, and you have nothing to ever look forward to past this moment. Now think of that for all of eternity. With no God, with no Holy Spirit, with no restraining influence for anyone to do that which is right. This, it will not be a party with your friends. And you go, that, that's serious stuff. Yeah, that's why Jesus tells the parable. And by the way, it's, you know, you may not like me saying this, but here's the reality of it. The reality of it is when you study the life of Christ, Jesus talks more of hell than he does of heaven. That's the reality. That's the reality of it. And when he talks about this parable, one of the things that he says is you need to understand Satan is alive and well and he is at work. And right now God is patient because God knows The moment that he comes to this earth as judge, there is no more hope for those who've rejected him. So every day that he holds off, do I want the Lord to come back? Yes, I want the Lord to come back. But I realize that when he comes back, I have too many friends and loved ones and people that I care about who will never get another opportunity to trust him. So I'm okay with him waiting. And it a burden on our heart to go out and share Christ with those people in such a way. And I just want to challenge you because the thing about this thing is, if you don't know for sure, you, 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 it's something you need to settle. That's why Jesus tells this parable. Last idea is, it's interesting, it's the way the parable ends. Do you notice how the parable ends? He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He says, you need to think about this. One of the things about this parable that I see is this idea. To those who reject Christ, um, this parable brings incredible fear. To those who have accepted Christ, it's incredible comfort. Your response to this parable is based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. And what I would say to those of you who don't know for sure that you're a Christian, You don't know for sure that you're part of his kingdom. You don't know for sure that you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Here's what you need to understand. God offers salvation to anybody who says yes. Oh, pastor, you don't know my background. Don't care. Neither does God. He offers salvation to everyone. All they have to do is say yes. Are you saying God will take care of all my sin, forgive all? Yes. Yes. You mean I don't need to jump through all the church hoop things that I've heard all my life? No. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Whosoever. Whosoever. God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him 
should not perish, but has everlasting life. That simple. There's no reason for you to stay that way. But every time you say no, you choose to reject God. Understand that. So this passage should scare you. For those of you who are believers, this passage should bring you incredible comfort. That there's coming a day when God's going to make everything right. When those who have done good are going to be honored and rewarded, and those who have rejected God are going to be dealt with and put away. Why is there sickness? It's going to be taken care of at that moment. Why is there hatred? It's going to be taken care of at that moment. Why is there selfishness and greed? It's going to be taken care of at that moment. He's going to make it all right. Every bit of it. That's incredible comfort to me. It's incredible comfort to me to say, wheat, let's go to the barn. And Jesus here tells this parable, and he looks at his disciples, and he says, if he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. In this culture, hearing was not just listening. It was doing. Jesus was basically looking at these guys and saying, you need to go out and you need to do the job that I've given you to do because there's coming a day when I'm going to make it all right. Until that day, you have a job to go out and be a light in a dark world. Until that day, you have a job to go out and be wheat among all of the tares because that's what I've called you to do. So as we end this morning, I end with this. The parable of the wheat and the tares is a story that provides fear and comfort. Fear to those who are playing Christian. It provides comfort to Christians who can rest in the fact that one day God will sort everything out. The real will be permanently separated from the false. Our job is not to sort. Our job is to be light in a very dark world. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes when we hear these stories, it's not things that uh, we want to hear. But Lord, it's things we need to hear. And Lord, sometimes it's so easy to play um, at this thing we call life and, and to forget the fact that, Lord, this is but just a small drop compared to eternity. And that, Lord, the stakes are high. So as we go out into the world this week, Lord, a world that is filled with hopelessness. May we be able to show hope. In a world that's filled with fear, may we be able to show comfort and encouragement and strength. Lord, will you use us to be able to share your message, the gospel, the good news, with those who we interact with this week. So use us, and when it's all said and done, Lord, May people see Christ and the way we live this week. These things we ask in your name. Amen.